Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we will explore the journey of Dr. Brian Banks, an assistant professor of history at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia, and co-founder of the online journal Age of Revolutions. Brian holds a PhD from Florida State University. Brian is a colleague and collaborator of mine at CSU that I met during my first year on faculty. The audition, I can kind of, there's like a noise, um, I think it's called denoise effect. It, yeah, it makes everything sound pretty good overall. Um, I've had people like do this over the phone and it sounds like crap and that makes it sound pretty good in the end, so I'll go with it. Are you at home today too? On this episode, we will hear Brian's stories about teaching and studying history from below as a means of relating historical study to his students' lives and amplifying voices that may have been previously muted or silenced. On the following two episodes, we will hear Brian's stories about helping students relate and apply history to contemporary experiences and contexts. Also, we will discuss the leveraging of podcasting as a teaching and learning approach and the development of our Pedagogies of Podcasting website. When I spoke with Brian in September of 2021, we got into his approaches as a historian and educator, considering history from below. He discussed the Age of Revolutions journal he co-founded, as well as his work about the Huguenots. That's what we call it now. We called it a historio blog for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word blog has some connotations that don't exactly fit what we do because right. we have editorial staff. We peer review every publication before it appears. The most that it has in common with a blog is length. And I would say even our pieces are a little longer than normal blog pieces are. And then obviously the peer review, it, you know, it sets it apart from, from that world of kind of casual posting of one's ideas um, yeah, so I we call it an open access online journal. Okay. Um, and just to, for the people that will listen to this, um, I looked at what a Huguenot was, and it says that the they were French Protestants of the 16th to 17th centuries, largely Calvinist, mm-hmm. suffered severe persecution at the hands of the Catholic majority, and many thousands emigrated from France. And what's interesting about... <laughs> I feel like the top, the like specializations or areas of expertise that you've chosen in history, and maybe you can speak towards kind of how you came to those, are both rather relevant today in terms of what we can derive from um, understanding in ways we could and should and aren't doing things as a society or as a world. So how did you come to yeah. be an expert in those particular areas, revolutions and Huguenots? Um, yeah, you know, one of the, the central concerns of historians is is not imposing narratives that are not, you know, not natural upon the past. And it's very difficult to do that with past historical figures. It's really hard to do that with oneself, too, because I would like to imagine I had this vision, right? <laughs> a, a mission statement in graduate school of what uh, I wanted to accomplish in the coming years. And I had managed to follow that path to a T. Uh, but that is very much not the case. Well, you don't worry. I'll impose the narrative when I produce these episodes later. So you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that That's good. But uh, yeah, um, I stumbled upon both projects is, is the easiest answer. Um, I knew that I was interested in incorporating technology uh, in new ways into the field of history which, you know, is less and less dominated by kind of esoteric individuals, you know, blood 
sites, people who are afraid of technology. I think that's the the image that historians often get is of the gray-haired white male who you know spends all his time in archives and, and publishes a book every you know three or four years or something. And, and historians are far more diverse in their applications of history these days than they were 20, 30 years ago or something. And so uh, my my project uh, grew out of of, you know, as most dissertations do in grad school, looking for some kind of gap um, that historians had overlooked and to find a gap that, like you said, um, you know, fits some contemporary issues that would keep me interested in the long term. And so, you know, I went to grad school already interested in the French Revolution. I had spent some time in France as an undergrad in an exchange program. I had participated in a number of clubs or or protests with the French uh, who were very upset in 2009 that the price of of tuition was about to double for all of their state-run universities. Hmm. Uh, I think it was like 600 euros a year to 1200 euros a year, dramatically less than what, you know, people in the United States were paying at the time. But nonetheless, seeing that this kind of passion in France for uh, universal education, uh, higher education for their citizenry, I I got really inspired, uh, one, to, to go to grad school and try to pursue the professorate to be a part of a system that can, you know, help build the middle class and and, you know, bring some semblance of higher education to the masses, as it were. But I also became really interested in French history, uh, because if you know anything about French history, you'll know that they have a very long revolutionary tradition. There's obviously the French Revolution of 1789, which is the one that I study and have published on most prominently. But then there's also the French Revolution of 1830, 1848, 1871. Some people like to point to the Vichy regime in the 20th century. And you could point to all of these protests that pop up every couple of years in France as, a, as you know, an extension of that revolutionary past, I think. The, the idea that protest is a normal form of political engagement in France is, is a pretty true one. That's one we don't see here in the United States by any stretch. Um, so I like to bring that kind of context, that that historical exploration into the classroom. That's why I tend to teach a lot of classes on the age of revolutions. The overlap um, there then is during the French Revolution of 1789, the, the gap I found in the historical literature was on these Huguenots. For the most part, they had disappeared by the time we got to the end of the 18th century. Um, people weren't really talking about them anymore. Most of them had fled France by that point and were not ready to come back. Uh, generations had passed since their ancestors' original flight, and most of these people had assimilated into their their cultures abroad. Um, I found the opposite to be true. I found French revolutionaries remarkably concerned with attracting Huguenots or Huguenots back to France from their diaspora. And I thought that was a really interesting story to tell. So that's what my dissertation uh, started out as. It morphed, it's changed. The book that's come out of it um, is remarkably different than the dissertation. And the book that I'm now working on, the second project related to this, is a kind of grand synthesis um, on the Huguenot diaspora from the, you know, from the life of John Calvin, which started it all to the present, um, which is a massive undertaking. 
but one I think is of critical importance. And what do you like having said all that, what do you think contemporarily we should be taking away from that? And how does that inform? Cause you said you do a lot of teaching about yeah. um, the age of revolutions. Like how does that inform the ways in which you're teaching your students here at Columbus state about it? Uh, yeah, there are, there are lots of different types of history, but the one that I tend to prefer to teach to students, we call history from below. Um, history from below tends to forefront everyday individuals, commoners and their experiences, as opposed to grand generals like Napoleon Bonaparte or something whose lives were, were atypical, right? They, they um, you know, had a lot of influence, a lot of agency over their day-to-day lives, but um, their, their, their life experience is irregular. Uh, and for me, the thing that gets students to identify with the past, to really explore history education um, the most, is when they are confronted with stories that look a lot like their own. Uh, not necessarily the fantasyful Napoleon Bonaparte crossing the Alps, but, you know, the soldier who was conscripted and had to leave their family, but still had to provide for their family as they traipsed across, you know, a battlefield and lost a leg and then had to deal with disability and, um, you know, became literate late in life and saw the advantages of that. And right. that It's those stories that I think land with students more. And so that's that's the big impulse behind my own research, uh, as well as my work on the Age of Revolutions website, uh, is that if you go on the website or you look through any of my books, you'll notice that there are not a whole lot of very prominent names there. Uh, You might see a a reference to George Washington cast about, but it's never he's never the central figure of that story. It's always the people that are, are in, you know, Washington's gravitational orbit. Uh, and how they are you know, working through not only his orbit, but the orbits of, of a bunch of other factors. Right. I think in doing that too, history from below allows us to uh, recenter our analyses on previously marginalized figures, which one of the big things for me as an academic and as an educator is to pursue you know, diversity and inclusion in the classroom and in my publications. Um, so, you know, history from below lets us forefront the voices of women, which historically speaking have been effaced, if not outright, you know, erased or something. Um, the roles of people of color, um, you know, that's that's their those two groups, their voices are often the first ones to, to go in the historical record. Um, so I'm, I'm able to then bring into the classroom and bring into my research this diversity. Um, which, you know, helps, again, to, to connect history to these students. History contains many voices and stories of events and impacts, trends and recountings of what happened and how it happened. Some of those voices resound louder through the annals of time than others. By providing a space and context to voices that may have been edged out of dominant discourses, Brian also gives voice, perspective, and power to his students' voices and experiences. This is the stuff of what Paulo Freire called a problem-posing education. We will explore these themes a little more on the next episode of this podcast. You can follow Brian on Twitter at BrianBanksPhD. That's at B-R-Y-A-N-B-A-N-K-S-P-H-D. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.